Father, this morning once again, as we come to the ministry of your word, we just surrender ourselves into your hands, O Lord, spirit, soul, body. Take control, Spirit of God. Above all, cleanse our minds. That what we hear, your word, will be received in a sanctified vessel. For your word is true. Your word is holy. Your word is pure. And you have exalted your word above all your name. And you have given it only to us. You do not preach to the angels. You do not preach to the animals. Only to us. The word of God comes. Help us to also lift it above everything else in our lives. Even now. Speak, Father. We just rest at your feet. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We've been looking at the book of Ruth, not studying words by words, but using that book as the primary text. We are continuing to learn the basic fundamental principles of a walk with God. If you look into the kingdom of God, what would be the most important attribute needed to spiritually succeed in the kingdom of God? What would you? The answer would be obedience. The answer would be obedience. Many would say love or faith. But even when we look at scripture, we will see without faith, neither love or faith has any meaning or value. It is just a feeling without legs. It goes nowhere. In the book of Hebrews chapter 5, when it talks about Jesus, in verses 8 and 9, though he was a son, when he came, he came as a son like us. Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected in what? In his obedience. He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Twice it is used. Jesus learned obedience. And Jesus becomes the source, the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Twice. It is mentioned about obedience, about Jesus. There is a story told by Mark Twain. He talks about a businessman, a very unethical, crooked businessman who once told him, I want to go to the Holy Land, to Israel. I want to climb Mount Sinai and I want to read aloud the Ten Commandments. Mark Twain said, I have a better idea. You could stay in Boston and try to keep them. So many people try to exchange a religious experience or a mountaintop experience to the habit of consistent obedience to God. You see, one of the reasons 
why people sadly keep running after seminar after seminar, deliverance seminar, deeper life seminar, fire seminar, I don't know, all kinds of seminars, even now, today, yesterday, tomorrow, all taking around the city, seminar after seminar. You know why they run after seminar after seminar and nothing happens except the seminars? It's simply because we do not have a habit of consistently obeying God. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13, scripture says, Now abide, abide, these things are, abide forever. Faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Talks about three things which are marked great in the kingdom of God. One is faith, the other is hope, and then there is love. And the greatest is love. But even when it comes to love, scripture says in John chapter 4, 14 and verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. There's so much in these words, but we are not looking at it. This is what he is saying. We say the greatest is love. But love has no meaning without obedience. There's no meaning without obedience. Absolutely no meaning without obedience. If the greatest is love, scripture says, it, it's functionally shown in how we keep the commandments of God. And it says, if you love me this way, by obeying what I tell you, then he who loves me by obeying what I tell you, he will be loved by my father. And I will love him. I will not only love him back, but I will manifest myself to him. Manifest. There were prayer requests. Lord, I want to experience your presence. I want to walk in your presence. I want to know your presence. Because it's all about God wanting to be with man than man wanting to be with God. And here is a God who says, I will manifest myself to you. You will know me. You know I am there with you. You will know. That's the greatest promise he gave us in Matthew 28. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you till the end. Then why are Christians miserable? Because they are not able to experience this, the manifestation of God in their lives, simply because we don't obey him. If you obey him, he always loves us. But we are never able to experience his love through his presence because we fall short of this. And how are we to love him? How are we able to love him? In Matthew 22, 37 and 38, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. This is my first and great commandment. He says you have to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Subsequent commands are given only to those who love him. Okay, this is the greatest commandment. Love God more than anything else. With all your heart, with all your mind, all your strength. Our problem is in 21st century culture, we honor feelings more than obedience. We honor what? Feelings more than obedience. But God honors obedience more than feelings. Like, if you are a pastor or a worship leader and the church is full, when worship is going, people jump and dance and cry and weep and all. They get excited. God doesn't get excited. 
He said, that was good performance. He says, good, that's good, pretty good. He said, good, got some exercise which you didn't get through the week. But he says, I am looking at your obedience. That's why God told Prophet Samuel, you look at the outside. God looks at the heart. And only he knows the heart, whether we have obeyed him, what he told us. And the reasons why we don't love God, where we obey him, is because we love ourselves more than we love God. We love ourselves more than we love God. Therefore, we don't insist on obedience, either for ourselves or our children. Okay, because if you want to instill obedience to children, it costs, it brings suffering for you. If you don't instill discipline in your children, obedience to your children, there is no suffering for you. So we love ourselves more than, that's what scripture says, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Obedience always brings a suffering to the self. So if you look at the first text we read this morning, what was the father working on his son when he came in the flesh? He was concentrating on the obedience of Christ. That is what the father is focusing on. He's, if he is learning, that means somebody is teaching. If you are learning today, that means somebody is Teaching. The father is teaching and the son is learning. What is the father teaching? Obedience. And what did the son teach? Learning? Obedience. He was concentrating on that. At every stage of his life, his obedience had to be perfect. Okay? If you were there on Wednesday, you would have understood this. That. We, this is the land season. For churches around the world, people are going through this 40 days of obedience. 40 days of obedience, which will lead to 326 days of disobedience. 40 days of obedience. So let's at least look at this 40 days of obedience and we, we, we glorify the sacrifice of Christ. His passion. Week will come in April. Where all the churches will pull, Shami and us will pull, because passion comes to the people when the passion week comes. Till then there is no passion. Okay, everybody will be start coming back. Good Friday, people will cry and weep and all, and then they're gone. That's the fashion. Okay? You have to acknowledge these facts because this is the sad thing about the church, because the church is supposed to be the city on the hill, the lighthouse. And this is the light we show. Where we show not by our obedience, but our disobedience. So we talk about Jesus' sacrifice. We talk about Jesus' death, how he died on the cross, all that. And when we look at that, and because he died on the cross, because of his death, we receive our salvation. Amen? Not fully true. We receive his salvation first, not because of his death. First, because of his obedience. If he had disobeyed his father and died, nobody would have been saved. Nobody. Because then he would not have been the sinless lamb of God, which only could make atonement. For us to save him through his death, first he had to be perfect in his obedience. 
That is why he becomes the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Understand how important obedience is in the work of salvation. How important it is. It is. We are learned, we are saved by our obedience. As much as his obedience. All who obey him. That's what we are getting into. So we looked at the death. We looked at his obedience. And it had to be perfect. In Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 to 7. Scripture talks about Jesus. Therefore when he came into the world. He said sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But a body you have prepared for me. Yet did he offer a sacrifice? Did he offer an offering of himself on the cross? Yes. But God says, that is not what I am desiring first. In burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin, you had no pleasure. God had no pleasure in this. But behold, I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. What I have come to do, to do your will. I have come to obey everything that is written about me in your book. From Genesis chapter 3, 15, where the first promise is given of redemption till the end, whatever is written about me in the book, I have come to obey. That is how our salvation comes. Sacrifice and offerings, you did not desire. Now listen to what Samuel said to Saul. We know that in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. And this Samuel said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's exactly what Jesus says. There is no meaning in sacrifice and offerings if it is not encompassed in obedience. Because in every religion there is sacrifice. There's a lot of personal sacrifice people go through. In other religions, much more than Christians do. You have to see the Buddhists and the Lamas and the young boys who are put into the monasteries from childhood onwards. I've seen them. I grew up among them. I know how their day begins at 3, 4 in the morning. They are whipped, they are woken up, they chant and they are in the cold and they have to learn it all by heart and the whole life goes like that. What sacrifice? But God says, I am not looking for sacrifice. I am not looking for offerings. First thing I am looking at is, are you obeying the voice of the Lord? Are we obeying the voice of the Lord? The problem is, because we do not obey the voice of God, much of our life is spent in sacrifices. Spend in what? Sacrifices. That's what I said. The tip I gave it to young parents about your children's education. Most of the time parents are struggling with sacrifice worth, taking this to tuition, taking to this station, running back and forth, back and forth. Why? Because you did not obey the voice of wisdom in the beginning. So I gave you a piece of wisdom. You obey it, you don't need much sacrifice later because it is already ingrained. Because we do not obey the voice of God, we are doing everything possible for breakthroughs in our life. God said, I shut the heavens. I have done this. I have sent the devourer. I have allowed this in. And you can do whatever you want. It's not going to change. But you do what I tell you. Humble yourself. Humble. 
yourselves. Pray. Seek my face. Turn from your wicked ways. He said, I will heal the land. But we won't do these four things. We won't obey the voice of the Lord. We continue all our religious activity with great sacrifice. I also did it. How much money in the old days I gave it to ministries hoping for a breakthrough, but I didn't want to obey. I thought if I gave Dinagar an offering of 2,000 rupees, I would get my big breakthrough. If I sent Benny in 5,000 rupees, nothing came. Their breakthrough came. I never broke through. Then the Lord said, I didn't ask you to do any of these things. I told you one thing. You do it, your breakthrough will come. It's as simple as that. You know, we get caught in the same lie. And God says, Noah, I didn't ask for that. All our sacrifices and offerings have no value spiritually unless there is obedience in our lives to the commands of God. When James, in his epistle chapter 2, verse 17 to 24 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is? This works is obedience. If faith is not followed by action, which is an obedience to the voice of God, it is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So people have gone berserk over the centuries and saying that what is Paul preaching in Rome, in Roman that you are saying and Ephesians, you are saved only by grace and not works. And James is writing something else. He is saying that now you are saved by works. That's not either of them are saying. Both what they are saying are the same. He says if your faith is real, it is always translated into obedience. Come further. You believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe. And they there is no corresponding work of obedience in their belief. But do you want to know a foolish man that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that his faith was working together with his work? God told him something, he obeyed. And by works faith was made perfect or complete. And scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. This words has for centuries made theologians go berserk because Paul will say throughout the epistle of Rome, you are justified by faith and faith alone. And James comes and says you are not justified by faith alone, you are justified by Works and they say, how can it be contradicting each other? And he says, there's no contradiction. Real faith, genuine faith, who is marked by obedience. It's marked by obedience. Genuine faith is always marked by obedience. It will always show in obedience. So different terms will use the term works or deeds, but the basic meaning is obedience to the commands of God. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, scripture says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. How does faith come? Hearing and hearing the word of God. What does that mean? That means the voice of God. Now when we obey what we have heard, then faith is completed and becomes functional or alive and then only the power of God flows into 
our lives. Faith comes from hearing. We heard. And now God says, what did you hear? I mean, what's the point of learning everything about electricity and never putting the switches on in your house? Or you can give a discourse on electricity and sit in the dark. Does it work? No, it doesn't work. And you'll say, but I have faith in electricity. Yeah, show me it by your light. No, I believe in electricity, really? Then why are you sitting in the dark? That's how sometimes our faith is. So many Christians can be dead Christians. Under the power of darkness. Under the power of darkness. Why do I say so? Why do I say so? So many Christians can be dead Christians, spiritually, under the power of powers of darkness. Why do I say so? Because scripture says so. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Opposite of obedience is disobedience or rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What is it? It's a sin of witchcraft. What is witchcraft? Witchcraft is to come under the power of the powers of darkness. What is rebellion? It is the sin of witchcraft. Did you see? We don't want to accept the fact that we could be under the influence of powers of darkness. Under the powers of darkness. Why? Simply because of disobedience, because of rebellion. You know, if you are driving on the road, not any one of you here, but imagine a person is drunk, he drives, he's feeling good, he might be even driving well. Then the cop stops you. And he takes his instrument and does what is called a breath analyzer. And he looks at it and says, get out. Did you drive well? Are you feeling good? Yes. But the instrument says you are driving under the influence of alcohol. Now what does the law say? Whatever the law says, depending upon the country you are in, you run into serious trouble. So many people, they look good at church, they look good at office. But if God were to use a test meter, the result could be you are living under the influence of powers of darkness. Getting the picture? That's what scripture says. Now you need to distinguish here. You could be a sinner without being a rebel. All are sinners. All are not rebels. All are sinners. That's the difference between King Saul and King David. King Saul was a rebel. King David was a sinner. He was never a rebel. We all sin in various aspects of our life. And Jesus came to seek to save the lost that are the sinners. Jesus is a friend of He's never a friend of rebels. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, 23, to this rebellion, if you add 
a stubbornness. Now we are adding stubbornness to rebellion. What have you added? You have added now idolatry to witchcraft. What have you added? And we think only Hindus have idols. God says no. Their idols are harmless compared to the idols you carry. They are much more harmless people. To rebellion, what has been added? Stubbornness has been added. So now idolatry has been added to witchcraft. This is what the Bible calls the way of Cain. What is it called? The way of Cain. Just look at the question God asks is Genesis chapter 4, 6 to 7. So Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and it's desire for you. But you should rule over it. God did not say, don't be angry. Okay, please don't misquote scripture. God only asked him, why are you angry? God never has said in the Bible, don't be angry. On the other hand, God says, be angry. Be angry. Genesis chapter 4, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, be angry. He says, be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on wrath because what is there? Powers of darkness is waiting there. The power of witchcraft, the power of darkness is waiting to take hold of you. So if you are angry, don't sin. God does not say don't be angry. He says be angry. Why? Be angry. Because anger is a very powerful force. Very powerful motivating force. Hatred is a very powerful motivating force. Both of these can be positive or negative. Even hatred can be positive or negative. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9, scripture talks about Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Our problem is not this, that we don't love righteousness. Our problem is that we don't hate lawlessness. So we keep on compromising. God says it's not possible because you are trying to serve two masters. When we ask for God, this Lord, I want to love righteousness, I want to hate lawlessness. Then we start enjoying righteousness. Our problem is that we have righteousness, we have losses. No, hot water, cold water. Mix it, you get lukewarm water. Hatred is not a bad thing. If you use it positively to hate lawlessness. Anger is not a bad thing if you use it positively. You cannot love righteousness truly without hating lawlessness. So like I said, anger, hatred, all can be very powerful forces to do good. But when anger moves to sin, that's what God is talking about in Genesis chapter 4. He says, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? He says, let's discuss your anger. Let's discuss the anger. Why are you angry? Let's discuss it. Why are you angry? Okay, the first question God asked the fallen man outside the garden is, why are you angry? Why are you 
angry. If anybody is angry this morning, God is asking you the question. I have no issues with your anger, but let's discuss it first. Why are you angry? Because if we can discuss your anger, we can take this and make it into something positive. Or if you don't handle it, it can become something very negative. Why are you angry? Because if you do well, will you not be accepted? I believe something has happened over here which has upset you. Okay, so you're angry about it. Okay, now I know how to deal with your anger. I'm telling you how to deal with your anger. There were two of you. Two of you did something. One was accepted, one was not accepted. You who was not accepted is angry. Now I'm telling you, this is the way to deal with your anger. Turn your anger towards what you did. Okay? You failed in mathematics. Now don't get mad at the teacher. The teacher was just doing his job. Get mad at yourself that you didn't spend time studying mathematics. Turn the anger and say, I am going to do well next time and I want to start now. Okay? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Focus on that. If not, what will happen? Sin will is lying at the door. And it will grab. So what do you do? You don't deal with the anger the positive way. You start spreading the rumor around all your friends that maths teacher doesn't know maths. I wonder which university she passed from. Maybe her certificates are fake. That's what people do. That's what people do. Now what have you done? Sin has taken hold of you. Sin has taken hold of you. Was anger wrong? No. How you channeled your anger. You did not channel your anger in the right direction. This is what great people have done, including great sportsmen. Why are some of the great sportsmen so good? Is that because they haven't failed? No. Why is people like Sachin and all were 20 years, 25 years in the top bracket? You know what? When they went out for a wrong, silly shot, they never got angry with the bowler. Have you noticed? They never shouted at the fielder or got upset with the umpire. They were angry with themselves. And if you actually have heard and read about them, they went back and that silly shot, they looked in the replay and they practiced for four hours, five hours, how to play that same shot without getting out. What did they do? They took that anger at themselves and they channeled it to see that next time such a delivery comes, I will not get out. Instead, I will know how to play it. Instead, what do we do? We get angry with the fielder who got our catch, at the bowler who bowled well, and the umpire who got us out. That's what God is saying. Okay? He says, don't waste your anger. It's good to be angry. Some of the greatest things that have been happened in this world have been done by people who are very angry. Slavery was abolished by people who was angry at slavery. Angry. Okay. Much of the movements that are taking place are people who are angry at issues and they say, I want to be a force for the better. So anger itself is not bad. So what do they do? They Talk to themselves. Sachin talks to himself. They don't talk at the others and see them as oppressors. They talk to themselves. But we, what we do, we look at the bowler as the oppressor, the umpire as the chief oppressor, and the fielder, we look at all of them as their enemies. And we talk at them. That is what is called sledging. 
Sledge. But you have to notice about these cricketers with character, not Kohli and all, but the character. You have heard them, they never sledge back. They never sledge back. You could say anything under your, this thing, you could never get under the skin of these guys. What was the whole idea they were doing? What is the purpose of sledging? They are sledging and sledging and telling all kind of things that this man will finally get angry, lose his concentration, play one bad shot and get out. That's the purpose of sledging. And this guy has been taught well, trained well. He said, you can say whatever you want. I'm not even listening to you. My eyes on the ball. Did you see how it works? That's what God is saying. Hear about. Instead, what do we do? He sledges you. We sledge him back. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and it is a desire for you, but you should rule over it. God has already spoken to Cain. Cain should have spoken to himself and says, you know what? Okay, I understood it. This is what Abel did. This is what I did. This is what God wants. I want to do it as simple as that. Instead, what does he do? Verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. He didn't talk to himself. Talked to his brother Abel and said, Come, let's go out for a walk. What did he do? He took the bowler to the bar and gave him two shots and said, You drink it and then come back and bowl at me. Let me see how your ball will come. Instead of practicing on his shot, he focused on the bowler. This is what we do. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. We also rise up against brothers, and we kill them. Now look at verse 9. Okay, what has now it become? It has become rebellion. It has become rebellion. Rebellion is the power of witchcraft. God had told him something. He knows what he is to do. He does exactly the opposite. He has become a rebel. The power of darkness comes upon him. He commits murder and then God said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brothers? Am I my brothers? He added stubbornness to rebellion. Idolatry to rebellion. See the pattern happening. Rebellion to that stubbornness added. Iniquity, idolatry is added. And Second Thessalonians 2, 7. Idolatry, iniquity, the other word that is used. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The Bible has many mysteries. One of the mysteries is what? The mystery of lawlessness. What does it mean, mystery? You, all of us who have read when we were young, mystery novels, we know it is hidden. It's a secret. Okay, that's why it's a mystery. Iniquity, lawlessness is a mystery. It is a mystery. Rebellion, add to that. Idolatry, lawlessness, it's a mystery. It's a mystery meaning it is hidden. It is not being outwardly exposed into the world because he is not taken away yet. The he here is the Holy Spirit. God is not allowing the Holy Spirit to be taken away. So the Holy Spirit is restraining complete lawlessness taking over the whole world and every man. But the day the Holy Spirit is taken away, suddenly people will realize, I am lawless. 
I am lawless. I never knew I was lawless. I never knew. Silently it is working even in those who serve God without obedience. It's a mystery. They themselves do not know. That is why the most important thing in the kingdom is obedience. In Luke chapter 3 verses 24 to 27. Strive to enter in at the straight gate for many I say unto you will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut that to the door and yet he began stand without and to knock at the door saying, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. He shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are, who you are. Okay, then you shall begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence. Or what are you saying? I was in your church every day. I took part of communion. I was there at all the feasts. And thou was taught in our streets. Oh, I went for every Bible study too. And God says, but he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. All the workers of iniquity. This is not telling the world. This is not telling to anything of the world. This is to people who spend their lifetime in church. The mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. We all ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. I can tell you every meeting, Lord, I went to. I know which preacher also came and spoke. I was there, deliverance, fire, deeper life, inner life. Everything I was there. All the while there was a mystery working in them. The mystery of iniquity. See the world is full of sinners. World is full of sinners. But churches are usually people full of iniquity. Churches are usually full of people who are full of iniquity. Because unlike the people in the world who do not know the truth or know what God wants them to do, people in the church like Saul, King Saul, know the truth and know like Cain what they ought to do, but they won't do it. Out of sheer rebellion and stubbornness. People in the world, God forgives them. Oh, your sinners come to me, I'll forgive you. Because you say, see, sense of ignorance. I don't, I don't worry. What can you do with people who don't know the truth? Nothing. The minute say, Lord, forgive me, he says, forgive me. The world is full of sinners. Church is not always. One man of God said, the greatest sin, there are all kinds, okay, of sins, ethical sins, moral sins, spiritual sins. But he said, the greatest of them all, according to this man of God, is found in James chapter 4 and verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What's the greatest? He says, it is this. What is it? It is called the sin of omission. Not sin of commission. Sin of omission. I want to look at Psalm 14. Verse 1. Do you have it? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Who has said in his heart? The fool has said in his heart, there is no good. No God. Okay. 
So there are two kinds of fool. One is the fool, the other is the greater fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The greater fool is he who says there is a God and he does nothing about it. There is a God and he does nothing about it. Okay. Disobedience has two sides. Okay. One, we do what we are told not to do. So God says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and we go and do that. It has a second side. We don't do what we are told to do. The second one is the dangerous one for Christians. We don't do, that's very subtle. We are not even sometimes aware of it that I am walking in this lawlessness because we think, I have done it, I have done it, I have done it. God says, you did not do, you did not do, you did not do. Each time Samuel confronted Saul, what did Saul say? I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. What is the Lord saying? You have not obeyed my voice, you have not obeyed my voice. You getting the picture? There are two sides of disobedience. One is the things which we do, which we are told not to do. Second one, that is the sin of commission. I know I was not supposed to steal, I stole. Everybody is, the minute you have stolen, you are aware. Oh, I shouldn't have stolen, I shouldn't have stolen. Okay. People are aware. When say, Lord, forgive me. Then he says another thing. What is that? Go, return it. Go, you won't return it. Man, if I return it, what will people think of me? What will? People. Were you guilty of commission? Yes. Are you aware of it? Are you aware of the second one? After some time, your conscience soothes. It's okay. Okay, I will do one thing. How much did I steal? 100 rupees. 10, I will give it to God. Tithes rolls out of it. Now, what did you do? You made God also a thief, partner in your crime. Well, there are people in the Bible who did it. Esau, go hunt, bring it, cook it the way I like it, and I will bless you. Motherhood. Son, Jacob, you come here, you get me a lamb, dress it, I will cook it the way your father likes it, give it. But father will know it is me and not him. He says, don't worry, you wear all this, your father will feel. And have some perfume which Esau likes. <laughs> father says, you feel like Esau, smell like Esau, you sound like Jacob. How did you get this animal so fast? What did he say? God help me. Who helped me? He made God also a partner in his crime. Got it? That is what. Children do it. They copy in exams. They get 80%. Hallelujah, Lord. God help me. Did God help you? Or your friend help you? Getting into stormy waters. Okay? Disobedience has two sides. The things which we do, which God said don't do. The things which we don't do, which God said you should do. One is a sin of commission. The other is a sin of omission. A lot of Christians are going to be trapped not by the sin of commission, but the sin of omission. Do you remember the incident with the fig tree? The only time you hear in the Bible Jesus cursing something. 
He cursed the fig tree. Now let me ask you something. Did the fig tree produce poisonous fruit? Did the fig tree produce raw fruit? Did the fig tree produce rotten fruit? What did the fig tree do? Produce raw fruit. So was it a sin of commission or the sin of omission? Sin of omission. It didn't do anything. It didn't do. It wasn't cursed for doing something. It was cursed for not doing something it was supposed to do. Do you remember the parable of the talents? Five to one, three to one, one to one. What does God call that fellow? You lazy and wicked servant. What did he do? He didn't do anything. Did he waste that money? No. Did he spend that money? Did he use it for gambling? He didn't do anything with the money. What didn't he do? Anything with the money. What did God call him? You wicked and lazy servant. Your point places with in the outer darkness. What did he do? The sin of omission. Not the sin of commission. Remember the parable of the good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was waylaid by robbers. They beat him up. They threw him out there naked. They left him on the road and he went. The priest came that way, avoided him and went. The Levite came there and avoided him and went. Let me ask you, did the priest or the Levite beat him up? Did they do any harm to him? Yet why are they condemned? Because they did not do what they were supposed to do. They did not do what they were supposed to do. Understand scripture. They did nothing. That is not an option in the kingdom of God. You cannot do nothing. When you face truth, you cannot be neutral about it. Cannot be neutral. Many of us honestly thought, maybe still think, if you don't do certain things, we are good Christians. We are good Christians. If that statement is true, the best Christian I ever known was my dog Tommy. He never lied. He never drank. He never smoked. Even when he stole, he used to be very apologetic when I looked at him. And I will tell you, he was a good Christian dog. He had never stole food. He only stole my books. Okay. Even then, I guess he got the habit from me. Okay. Reading. And that too, he was very good. He knew his age. He was very mature. He never stole my books. He stole my kids' books. So he never tried to read scripture. He tried to read kids' books. And he used to take it quietly and take it outside, leave it there, and come back and sit inside pretending nothing has happened. And I looked at him and saw me, what have you done? And I go outside because he kept it for his chewing after lunch. Okay. Was he a good dog? I'm telling you, he was not even a hypocrite. I mean, he didn't try to pretend to be something which he was. You know, okay, my master reads theological texts. I am also going. No, he picked children's book. Because when I was a classroom teacher 20, 30 years ago, I used to see these kids coming out of the library holding this big volumes. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Thomas Hardy, do you read Thomas Hardy? <laughs> no, sir, just to show my friends. <laughs> so many hypocrites. 
I see this young boys in my class listening to Bruce Springsteen and said, wait a minute, do you understand English? No, sir. Then why are you listening to? Everybody is listening to. I'm telling you my dog was not a hypocrite. He only picked books according to his age. He's a really good Christian dog. Do you think he'll go to heaven? <laughs> think about it. So many Christians are like that. They think, you know, I am going to heaven because of the things I don't do. And God says, some of them are going to get the shock of their lives when they see the gates are closed because of the things they did not do. Cain knew what he was supposed to do. After God warned him, he knew what he was supposed to do. If he had just asked Abel, hey Anna, are you not chota bhai? I don't have a lamb. You just give me one. Help me how to dress it. I also want to be acceptable to God. Case over. He knew what to do. But he didn't do it. He would not. If he had done that at the beginning, he would not have done what he did later. If he had talked to Abel, yes, you talked to Abel, but that was to deceive him. But if he had talked to Abel and said, Abel, why do you think your sacrifice was accepted? Why do you think your sacrifice was accepted? I, I, I read, I don't know who it was about. Was it the tennis player, Federer, or one of them who says one of the best advices I ever heard in my career? I got it from a waiter in a hotel. And he said, the waiter said, sir, this is the shot you should have played. And I knew he was right. Okay. I'm telling you, that's humility. That you are able to even receive counsel from a waiter when you are up there on the rankings at the top of the world. You'll receive advice from anybody and say, okay, let me listen. That's all he had to do. Able, tell me. Why was yours? Why was not mine? He said, this is the reason, Anna. Okay, let's handle it. Over, finished. But he didn't do it. Because he didn't do it, he goes to step two and he kills Abel. Saul knew what he was supposed to do. God's order, command to him was very clear. Nothing, when God tells something, you read the Bible, he is never in generalities. When he tells you to do something, he's very clear. Very, very clear. He's not like our GPS, which tells you one place and reaches you somewhere else. It happened for Sabagya and uh, Johnson's uh, engagement. I'm standing right at the hall and the GPS telling five kilometers more. And the address is correct. If I had listened to GPS, I would have missed the engagement. And I had to preach there. God is never like that. You read the Bible, it's very, very clear. We try to pretend it is not clear because we don't want to obey. So we say it's a gray area. It's not a gray area, it's black or white. Oh, where has God written? You cannot smoke. Where it is written? Let me tell you, it is written. You read First Corinthians. What is written? Your body is the temple of God. Because God lives over there. Any man destroys his body, God will destroy him. He doesn't need incense sticks inside. It's very clear. The only thing you don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. God is very clear. If we are clear, God's word is very clear for us. But we play games with God and God says, it doesn't work. Saul knew exactly what he was supposed to do. If he had done that, if he had done that, he would not have done what he did later. What did he do later? 
Samuel chapter 15 verse 28. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. Okay Lord, accept your judgment. Thank you Lord. Should have stopped there. And has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Who is better? Let me ask you the question. You look at King Saul, six feet, three inches or four inches, and look at this chota fellow who's smelling of sheep. Does he look better than you? No. How does David become better than Saul? He's more obedient. Only one thing. He's obedient. Saul knows this. Instead of dealing with his own issue, with his own anger, he turns it towards, turns it towards, David. So all his life is spent trying to kill David instead of dealing with his own anger. It was the same thing that Cain did. Cain, instead of dealing with his issue and turning his, channelizing his anger towards that, he is chasing Abel. Many of you kids, I'm telling you, because you have come from broken lives and broken homes, you are angry. But the problem is your anger is misdirected. It's a very, very powerful force. Very, very powerful force. It can, it can be angry, but you don't have to misdirect it. As a young boy, I grew up seeing an alcoholic, violent father. And I was angry, not at my father. I was angry at that and I decided before I ever knew who Jesus was or ever read the Bible, I will never drink too. I will not be a violent husband. Two things I decided. I will not be. I will not be. I will not be violent. I will not drink. I didn't have to be a believer because I saw that and I said, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. Okay. You can turn your anger into a powerful force that motivates to obeying God. Because he's the one who has to accept you. He's the, he's the one who decides your destiny. Instead of being angry and misdirecting your anger at everybody else like Cain or like King Saul. Because that is called in the Bible, Jude 1 and verse 11 will say, it is called, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. It is called the way of Cain. There are three different things over here. We are not looking at it. Way of Cain, error of Balaam, and the rebellion of Korah. Three different things. Three different theological texts altogether. It's called the way of Cain. Cain also has shown us a way which we should never follow. What is it? Rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness lead to iniquity or idolatry. You add stubbornness to rebellion, you are in a deep trap. Deep, deep trap. And this is called the way of Cain. Whose way is this? This is the way of Cain, but the author of this way is not Cain. The author of this way is the devil himself. Who is the author of this way? Cain was shown this way by the devil when he allowed the power of darkness to come over him. But the author of this way is the devil named after Cain. 1 John chapter 3 verse Not has Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Murdered his brother. Cain was a spiritual child of the devil himself. 
and he murdered his brother. That's how we become murderers. We are now in the spirit. We are being birthed by the devil. Why? Because first we were rebellious. We were disobedient to the voice of God. God told us, do this. Okay. Don't do this. We didn't do it. Then God said, do this. What did we do? We didn't do what? Our obedience is half. It's not full. But partial obedience is disobedience. God looks for full obedience. He does, like I said, I stole 100 rupees and I'm convicted. And they say, Lord, forgive me. He said, okay, now return it. What do I do? I won't return it. I did what I shouldn't have done. Now I won't do what I should do. Is my obedience 100%? No, 50%. 50% obedience doesn't take you anywhere with God. Anywhere with God. That's our problem. That's what happens. Cain, who was of the wicked one. Then we become murderers. We move from rebellion to stubbornness to witchcraft to, and we know the end of Cain, wanderer all his life. We know the end of King Saul, pinned to the wall by the Philistines. Sin of omission. Take it seriously, not commission, because we are very clear about sin of commission. Leads to the sin of witchcraft. And it is the most deceiving sin. It's the most deceiving sin. Because we are often aware what we have done. And ignore what we should have done. You see, it's a very respectable sin. Unlike the sin of commission. That is why it is deceitful. Very deceitful. Very, very dangerous. James chapter 1 and verse 22. Be he doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. What are we doing? We are deceiving yourself. God said, go kill the Amalekites. Wipe them out completely. Leave no one behind. Saul goes, kills. He takes the best and keeps it apart. And then he comes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. God says, you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Understand. This is the danger. If you look at David, what was he guilty of? The sin of commission. He was not guilty of the sin of omission. You are that man. I am that man. And he will write an entire psalm for the next thousand years for everybody to read that I did it and I acknowledged it and I am making amends with God. I can't do anything about here. Uriah is dead. Bathsheba has reconciled to the fact she is my wife. But Lord, I have sinned against you and you. And God says forgiven and restored. It's not a sin of omission. It is a sin of commission. Sin of omission is the most destructive sin because we believers, not Christians, not the people outside in the world who are guilty of the sin of commission. We know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. Why do I say so? Let me ask you this question. The most dangerous sin, the sin of omission, not commission. Okay. Why do people go to hell? 
Do you think they go to hell because they lie? Because they cheat? Because they kill? Because they sin? No. Nobody goes to hell now because they sin. Scripturally proven. They do not go to hell because of sins of commission. John chapter 3 and verse 18. Oh sorry, James. John, John, John. Not James. Did I write James? John 3 and verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So do people go to hell because they sinned? People do not go to hell because of what they did. People go to hell because of what they did not do. Everybody in hell is forgiven. But you are asked to do one thing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They won't do that. People don't go to hell because of sin of commission anymore. They go to hell because of sin of omission. That's why it is the greatest, most dangerous, deceptive sin. For not believing in the name of Jesus. Receiving a free pardon. There's a story written about a man who found a tract on the road. He looked at the tract. On one side it was written. What must I do to be saved? And it is written in the tract. Believe in the Lord. Jesus Christ. On the other side it was written. What should I do to be lost? And it was blank. What should I do to be lost? Nothing. You don't have to do anything to be lost. Nothing. What do you have to be saved? Believe in the Lord. Jesus Christ. What do you have to be lost? Do You don't even have to sin because you're already a sinner. Born in sin, shaped in iniquity. You'll go to hell. It's gravity. It pulls you straight down there. You don't have to do anything. That's a sin of omission, not the sin of commission. People go to hell not because of what they have done, because of what they have not done. That's why it is the most, most dangerous. Why do people remain lost? Because they do nothing. Why do believers get stuck in their spiritual journey? Joy is gone. Everything is gone. There is no movement. Religious cycle is going on because they have done nothing with what God told them to do. To do. And like I said, I've said in this church, I've said in other meetings, nobody can live without truth. It's the way God created. God is truth. And everybody has to live by truth. Only difference is this. If I don't live by God's truth, I will create my own truth and live in it. Why do I not go to church? Uh, Because people are not friendly. Why do you not go to church? Because people are not friendly. I created my truth and now I don't go to church. I have to live by it because I I have to explain something to myself. Bible never says go to church because people are friendly. Doesn't say that. But I have to have a reason why I don't go to church. I'm telling you, people, that is the matter. Do you want to get well? Uh, when the water is stirred, everyone gets ahead of me. That's not what I asked you. That's your truth. You're living by it for 38 years. 
I asked you a question, do you want to get well? I didn't ask you the question, why are you not well? I asked you the question, do you want to get well? Jesus said, get up, pick your mat. Pick your mat. Because that mat will never save you. That's your truth. That can never set you free. That mat brought you to the house, Bethsheda. In the morning when you came, they carried you in that mat and brought you and put you here. But when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You will carry the mat and you will go from here. That's how the truth of God differs from the truth of man. The truth of man, you are in bondage to that truth. The truth of God sets you free. That's the question God is asking. Don't blame. Iniquity. That is there. But that also in Christ is broken. My father, no. Your mother, no. These are all. No, I had no father or mother. Doesn't matter. I am your father. No, I am a widow. I am your husband. I am an orphan. I am your... There is no excuses when you read the Bible. If you fail, it's because you did not choose. God says, I have given you my son. I have given you my word. I have given you my spirit. You choose. You can be anything that I have planned you to be. Don't make excuses. Don't do the things I told you not to do and do the things I told you to do. You're fine. You're fine. That's why God says, I don't want your sacrifice and offerings. I'm not saying I don't want your sacrifice and offering. I am saying that that's not what I desire. What I desire is, do you obey the voice of the Lord? If you don't obey, rebellion comes. It is a sin of witchcraft. And then, when I speak to you again, what do you do? Now you have become stubborn. Now you have become added to that iniquity. Sin, transgression, and now iniquity also has come in. Now, it will take a lot of surgery before you can be set free. Okay, the world is full of sinners of commission. Churches are usually full of sinners of omission. Let me tell you, which is a more dangerous position? Ask you. Which is a more dangerous? Commission or omission? It's omission. Because very deceptive. You see, God made us in a certain way. And when we come into the house of God, the Spirit of God will remind us. Come into the house of God. The purpose of the Word of God. Scripture says the Word of God is a double-edged sword. It cuts. It cuts deep, 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 deep down. What we try to do is, we try to cover the sins of Omission with religious works. Uzziah was growing proud in his life and I'm sure God must have telling him, okay, deal with it, humble yourself, humble yourself Uzziah, when you are humble and listen to the voice of the Lord through the prophet, I prospered you, prospered you, prospered you. He's not humble. Not humble. And finally, he doesn't listen to the voice of God, he becomes a rebel. How does he become a rebel? Going against God, not becoming very religious. He goes into the sanctorum and tries to offer fire to God. Let not your religious works be a cover for your sins of omission. That's why God said, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your offerings. What I want is obedience. And if your obedience is there, then your sacrifice is a sweet-smelling aroma in my nostrils. Otherwise, God says, it stings. It stings. Like I said, there is something about our mind. Have you noticed? You can never keep your mind blank. Have you tried? 
If you try it, then you are the first human being in the world who managed to keep his mind blank. You even try to keep your mind blank, even then your mind is thinking, I have to keep my mind blank. It is not possible to keep your mind blank. It's not possible. So many people I have met in those 20 years of ministry, different countries, different states, different meetings. I ask young men, strong, healthy young men, what are you doing? Nothing. How is that possible? How is that possible? How can you do nothing? How can you do nothing? That's not the right answer. If you're doing nothing, you should be honest and say, what are you doing? I am wasting my life. What am I doing? Wasting. At least honest answers. God looks for honest answers. I'm wasting my... I'm doing nothing. What does it mean? If I'm not thinking right, then I'm thinking wrong. Your mind is never blank. If I'm not thinking right, then I'm thinking wrong. Romans 12 and verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does it mean? There are only two possibilities. If I am not overcoming evil with good, then I have been overcome by evil. If I am not overcoming evil with good, then I am being overcome. My good is being overcome by evil. Meaning, if you don't do what is right, you will end up by doing what is wrong. And to do nothing is wrong in the kingdom of God. Because everybody is called to do something. To do nothing is wrong. That's why James 1.27, the verse we looked earlier, what does it say? Pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. What does it mean? It says, if you go to the world, you will get spotted. That's wrong. Holiness will make you worldly. But you cannot sit at home and do nothing. How many of you, when you were struggling and say, Pastor, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. And I said, which day you struggle most? The day I am free. I said, why don't you go to LHL? Don't sit at home. You will sin. Get up and go to our home. Spend the whole day with the children. Do you do it? No. Then, two days later, I have fallen. What does scripture say? Keep yourself unspotted from the world. But how do you do it? By visiting orphans and widows. Meaning, getting yourself encased in other stuff. Which is a help and a blessing to others. You may have no returns. That's fine. God says your father in heaven will give you the returns. But keep yourself busy always. Keep yourself busy. Because if you don't do good, you will end up doing bad. It's very simple. Because your mind cannot remain blank. Cannot remain. That is the sin of Sodom. What is the sin of Sodom? Ezekiel? 1939? 1639? Yeah, 1639. We have to, I didn't give it to you. We have to look at it. What, how did Sodom and Gomorrah end up the way they ended? It, they did not end up start with homosexuality. 1649. Yeah, 49. Not 39, 49. Just look at how God diagnoses the sin of Sodom. Look, this was the 
iniquity not sin iniquity rebellion stubbornness iniquity of your sister sodom how did it happen she had first problem right what is the best problem if my people who are called by name and they're going through all this humble themselves she will not humble what's the first problem had pride along with pride dangerous fullness of food plenty what doesn't have to work pantry is full plenty of money in the bank returns are coming in like this fullness of food and abundance of idleness now this is not wrong this is not wrong you have plenty of time the problem is she did not strengthen the arm of the poor and the needy god said you had time you had money why did you go and take care of the orphans and the widows you wouldn't have ended up where you ended because the empty mind is the workshop devil's workshop keep yourself busy doing good god's people don't go to hell because of the things they did if they end up in hell it's because of the things they did not do they knew they should do scripture is very clear over and over and over and over it is very 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 clear because we get into trouble because of the stuff we don't do not because of what we do when we don't do what we are supposed to do we end up doing things which we should have never done pastor i'm struggling with my thought life really let me give you god's solution philippians chapter 4 verse 8 Oh no 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 no. No. Think on these things. Is my 18. Yeah, Philippians for it. Finally brethren, finally brethren, what is this? Don't keep your mind blank. Think whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things a lovely whatever things are of good report if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy meditate on these things meaning don't try to just oh i am emptying my mind of all evil things and keeping it blank no god says replace 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 i give this over and over as example of people who have come through broken lives yes that person hurt you Yes it may be a spouse but look back and this every marriage had excellent moments it's not that the day you got married onwards it was torture no misunderstanding happened problems happened but there were very 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 good days and memories even in the worst of marriages think on those things so that whenever that person's memory comes into your mind you only think good and not bad so that you can move ahead with god no we think about the evil that people do That's what Shakespeare Mark Antony speaks over Shakespeare's dead body the good that people do is often interred with their bones the evil that they do lives after them what do we do the good they have done we bury with their bones and we are keeping the memory of all the evil they have done God says no this is the way you fight no i am struggling with lust replace replace I'm struggling with anger replace you have to replace you cannot leave your mind empty you cannot this is scripture and you do this you are clear it's a constant empty fill get this out fill get this out fill get this out fill you have to replace with people practical practical you have to 
Otherwise it doesn't, it won't work. You'll be constantly struggling. I heard about a man who told, his wife told me, you never say you love me. He said, when I got married, didn't I tell you I love you? If I change my mind later, I will let you know. <laughs> That's not how relationships are built. And you wonder, why is my marriage on the rocks? God said, it is on the rocks. It was meant to be on the rock. Now it's on the rocks. Proverbs 16 and verse 27. It's supposed to be TLB. Did you get TLB? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle lips are his mouthpiece. The devil loves idle people. God loves hard workers. God loves hard workers. Devil loves idle. I know of young men. I'm not naming names. I know of young men who don't go to church. Who just got very little mustard seed faith. Little faith, don't even read the Bible, listen to a message once in a while. They ask them, do you struggle? They say, no, we don't struggle. Why? I work 22 hours, come back and sleep. There is no time to struggle with lust. No struggle. I I, I don't have time to indulge in those fantasies. I work hard, come back, eat and go to sleep. Get up in the morning and go to work. Did you get it? These are people from the world. I'm not talking about Christians who have the Holy Spirit and baptism and tongues and all. These are people of the world. He said, we have no time. We have no time. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. And idle lips are his mouthpiece. Mouthpiece. Our minds are like that. It cannot remain idle. Not even God. God is not idle. He works non-stop. And his thoughts, Jeremiah, a favorite words from Jeremiah, what is it? 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace. God says, I am not going to be tempted by evil. Every time I think about you, it's thoughts of peace. Okay, this son is going out of hand. How do I get him right and see that he has peace? I'm always thinking about your good. Your good, your good, your good. All my thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace and not of evil. Not of evil to give you an expected end. Even God thinks that way. He doesn't have negative thoughts in his mind at all. He thinks always thoughts of peace. So we get into trouble. Why? Because of the sin of omission. Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Are you following me as I read? And I stopped. After that, what is the next? And? Does it say and or does it say but? But. But. David tarried still at Jerusalem. Where did the fall begin? He did not do what he was supposed to do. So he ended up doing what he was not supposed to do. Did you get it? When kings go forth to battle, David sent all his army to fight, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. That's when people fall into trouble. When you should be at point A, you are at point B. 
and you fall at point B because God's provision for grace and victory is at point A, not at B. That's what happened to people in ministry too. Elijah's provision is at chariot. If he is a chariot at God's appointed place doing God's appointed work, even if it means to sit and wait and do nothing, his provision will come because he's at God's appointed place, his provision of grace, mercy, everything is there. But if he goes to Jericho, there is no provision, what will he become? He will become a prosperity preacher. He will start preaching in Jericho, the Lord has sent me to bless you and you need to give me an offering. Why? Because he's not at the appointed place. That's what happens to people. They start begging. Why do people beg? Because they are not where they are supposed to be. How do people fall in different areas in their life? Because they tarry. And don't make a sudden theology out of saying that I'm tarrying in Jerusalem. No, you're not supposed to be in Jerusalem now. Supposed to be in Jerusalem. I tell that to my young people in Bhutan and the other northeast places. Why are you here? Why are you here in the night Bible study? Does your father and mother know? No. Go back now. Because you know what? You know you are not supposed to be here. You have lied to your parents saying you are going for tuition. So you have come for the Bible study. What will happen? Two months later, you got a boyfriend. You are not even in the Bible study nor at home. You are wandering in the streets without them knowing. You need to be home. Oh, I am at the Bible study. No. You are not supposed to be at the Bible study. Don't make Jerusalem holy with your unholy acts. No. Tarry at Jerusalem. Come. Listen. That's why I put KJV. Then only we get the full meaning. And it came to pass in the even tide that David arose from his bed. What is this man doing at 6 p.m. in the afternoon sleeping in his bed? What time? Eventide. What are you young man doing at 6? Eventide is evening. When sun is setting, this man is sleeping. Is that a time to sleep? So many people have no control over when they sleep. They can sleep anywhere, anytime, anytime, any place. What are you doing? Eventide. See the structure in when scripture records. What are you doing? David did not do the things what he did initially. He did it because of sins of omission. It was not because of crazy lust. It was because of neglected duty. It was neglected duty, the sin of omission, which led to crazy lust, the sin of omission. Why do homes fail? Marriages fail? Ministries fail? Churches fail? Mostly not because of sins of commission. No. It's been sins of omission. If you had done the things you should have done, most marriages would be stable. Husbands, love your wife as Christ Jesus loved his church. Wives, submit your husband in all things as unto the Lord. If each one does what they are to, doesn't matter what happens in their marriage, they will be free. If you do what you are told to do. Most marriages don't break because of unfaithfulness and all that. No, 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 no. That is the result of something else. It is because you don't do the things you are supposed to do, then suddenly the man 
with the spiky hair in the office or the girl with blue eyes starts looking at you. That's the reason you suddenly see her eyes because you are not doing the things which you are supposed to do. Therefore, you end up doing the things which you are not supposed to do. It's a pattern. That's why God says the sin of omission is dangerous, not the sin of commission. No. Why do people go low-quam? Because they don't come to church. They don't. He can tell them, show them every scripture. It doesn't matter. Show them Jesus went regularly. It doesn't make any difference to them. And they, they constantly walk in this lukewarmness, never hearing the voice of God and expecting, have never heard the voice of God for the past seven years, but when the trumpet blows, I will hear. Really? That is strange. I would love to hear that too. It's like the man. You need to be very sure, very confident. One man came and said, Do you know that the God you believe in is not true? It is not real? He is dead? He is not. He said, No. He's true. He's real. How do you know that? He said, I just heard his voice a little earlier while praying. So you can't fool me. He's not alive. I don't need theology. I know him. I know him. Why do churches fail? Not by the sin of commission mostly, but by the sin of omission. People don't do what they are supposed to do. I tell everywhere to my pastors, every pastor I meet and said, every need in the church, doesn't matter which church it is, is already there in the church. What will people do? People will not do what they are supposed to do. If people gave to God, like the first century church full of poor people gave to God, there would be no need in the church. I told yesterday's pastor also, visiting pastor has come, they are having pasting and prayer, and they have called the visiting pastor to give an exhorting message. What is the first list in their prayer? We are asked praying for one kata of land to build our church. Oh, interesting. And all of them are sitting. He said, before I pray, let me ask you a question. Brother, who are you? Oh, no, I am one of the elders. You, all elders. Brother, how much land do you have? Uh, I have four acres. You, I have three. And you, I have seven and a half. And you are asking God for one kata. But you won't give. You won't? I go to an interior, interior village in Karnataka where the first time a few people in that village has accepted the Lord and this is poor man who works, who is his little well to do now but he was just working as an employee in a gas company and then he comes saved, God gives him wealth, he builds a little small little house where the church gathers and then he takes me out and shows the land and says, this is my land which I have dedicated to the Lord for to build the church. And right now we don't have the money to build the church, but I grow vegetables and I give it freely to all my believers in the church because this is church property, not mine anymore. Can you pray one day a church will stand? He said, this is my land I have given. Do you think if all the believers give their lands which they have in excess, we don't wouldn't have enough buildings in the city? No. Yeah, but they won't give. So they're going around, government grand, government grand, government grand. Why do you need government grand? We don't go to Caesar. People won't do what they are supposed to do. Anyway, 90% of the work of the church in the world is done by the poor people and their offerings and not the rich. Why? Not the sin of commission. The sin of omission. That is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what we have to be danger. Another example, Numbers 32, 23. 
But if you not, do not do so, then take note. You will have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. What is he talking about? The children of Israel have come. Kadesh Barnia, everything over. 40 days is over. 40 years are over. New generation is ready to take over. They are going to cross into the promised land and then go start the battle. And two groups say, we don't want to come. Who is that? Reuben and God. They said, we like this place on this side of Jordan. It is very green. We already built our shacks and all. Our cattle has found a lot of green. We don't want to go. We are fine. We don't want the promised land. <laughs> we don't want the promised land. We are satisfied with this place. What does Moses say? If you do not do so, failing what you ought to do, If you don't do what you ought to do, what is that? Cross the river, fight with your brothers. No man has the right to be at peace when his brothers are at war. No man has the right to be at peace when his brothers are at war. That's what Moses is saying. was telling them, you belong to the people of Israel. Their battle is your battle. Their battle. If you do not do what you are supposed to do. Okay, you are safe. I am not saying you need to move. God doesn't forcibly move anybody. But cross over, fight, win the battles for your brothers. When the battle is won, come back and settle down. But you cannot sit here and say, we will not go. Because if you don't do what you are supposed to do, be sure one day your sin will find you out. It will be revealed. That will bring you down. Are you getting the picture? That's the story of the church, 21st century church. They sit on the wrong side of Jordan. They attend every conference, every meeting, everything they do. One thing they don't do, they never win souls. They love victories, but they don't fight battles. No man has a right to peace when his brothers are at war. The church is at war. For 2,000 years, the church is at war. In Hebrews 13 and verse 3, Paul says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourself are in that body also. Even now, when we are talking, tens and thousands of God's people are lying in prisons, in chain, in cold conditions, in dungeons, only because they took the name of God. They are at war. They are casualties of the war. You and I cannot be at peace. It's not an option. God says, your sin will be found out on that day of judgment because you did not stand with them and uphold them in prayer. I asked you to stand in the gap for them. You said, I am fine. I am settled. I don't have the heart for it. God said, I will hold you accountable on that day. That's what Moses is saying. That's why we have plenty of time. Honestly, if your eyes are in this, I am also, I am free in Hyderabad. Yes, I am free in Hyderabad. I thank God for the freedom to worship, to do my work, but I am also not free because part of my body is in prison. So I cannot be free when part of my body is Free, not free. Their freedom is my freedom. Their captivity is my captivity. So I cannot be at peace. Did we see the church as a body? Did we see 
The need. That's what scripture is talking about. The sin, not of commission. Have you done anything? No, I have done. I am very, I keep the Ten Commandments. I do it all. I go to church regularly. I pray. I worship. Yes. Now let me talk about God says about the things you did not do. There, we will have nothing to say to the Lord. Now to make you smile, I read a story of an employer who fired a worker. He fired a worker. And the worker said, why did you fire me? I did nothing. The employer said, that's the reason I fired you. You did nothing. Don't end up at the doorway of heaven and God say, you are fired. Lord, I did nothing. He says, exactly. That's why I fired you. Why? You did nothing. We worry about the state of the country and the elections. Don't worry. Worry about the state of the church worldwide. Worry about the things which we haven't done. Imagine one of you went to the doctor. I'm feeling very weak these days. Prayer request. I'm reading a prayer, hypothetical prayer request, okay? I'm feeling very weak these days. I'm hardly able to walk or work. I feel dizzy all the time. The doctor asks you, are you ill? No. Are you eating well? I think so. I eat a full meal every Sunday morning. It's a big meal. My pastor cooks it for us. That's all I eat. What if you told the doctor that? What will he say? Must be crazy. You eat one meal a day? And you say you're feeling dizzy? You're not able to work? But that's a big meal. It's a two-hour meal. It's pre-cooked. And I trust the cook. Doctor says it doesn't work. You're supposed to eat? Every day. So many Christians, the only meal they get for their spirit is what they get on Sunday. And they are expecting to be, oh here I am possessing the promised land, God says. <laughs> Do we? Let me read what somebody wrote. It's beautiful. I don't know. It is an article. Someone wrote these words. Every day in Africa, every morning, a gazelle, a gazelle is a deer, okay? Kind of a deer. Every day in Africa, every morning, a gazelle wakes up. And the gazelle knows if he cannot outrun the fastest lion, he is going to die. Every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up and he knows if he doesn't outrun the slowest, slowest gazelle, he is going to starve. So whether you are a gazelle or a lion, you wake up running. Because if you don't, you are not going to make it. Our lives are just like that. You cannot sit around. This is what Spurgeon said. If you are not seeking the Lord with all your heart, please remember, the devil is seeking you with all his heart. If you are not seeking the Lord with all your heart, be very sure the devil is seeking you with all his heart. Faith without works, that is obedience, is Dead. When you reach the gateway of heaven, what is that on your forehead? D-O-A. 
dead on arrival. What is it? Dead on arrival. So we saw Ruth's consecration. Right? In Ruth 1. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will be I buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. Wonderful words. But worth only the paper in which it is written if the subsequent lines are not written. What is the subsequent lines? Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. All our pronouncements are worth nothing if it is not followed up with action that tallies with those words. That's what she does. That's what she does. Naomi comes back to the land of the promise. But Ruth follows the Lord of the promise. That's the difference. After that, she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheep. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. And after that, so she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. What does it talk about? That woman was not idle. Ruth's faith is not dead faith, but living. Rahab's faith was not dead faith, it was living. She did not just testify, oh, we know the God of Israel. We know what he did to Egypt. We don't need what he did to, oh, king of Shihon. We know and our hearts have been melting inside because of fear. for That was not just words. What did she do after that? What does James 2 say? Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by the works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Her faith was proven by her works. So that's the question God is asking. We are not guilty of sins of commission, most of us. We are guilty of sins of omission. Let me ask you, as I close, a couple of questions. Did you pray? 1 Samuel 12, verse 23. Moreover, as for me. Who is this? Samuel. The kingdom has been torn away from you and has been given to one better than you. You will not see my face again. But, as for me, far it be from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But you know one thing, Saul, I will never stop praying for you. That's my duty. I will not sin against God. I will never stop praying for you. You can count on that. But I will teach you the good in ceasing to pray for you. Do we pray? Do we witness? Ezekiel 3.18 When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Blood I shall require at your hand. Okay, there are sinners all around us. God says, you lived among them. 
You worked among them. Not once did you open your mouth and tell them about me. Did you? Did you pray? Did you witness? That's what it's asking. Did you? 10 years in a school? 15 years? As believers. I'm not talking about what you were believing. It doesn't matter. As believers. So easy. Because we even make transcripts available. Just pass it on. Just read it when you are free. That's all. You don't have to force it down their throat. Nothing. Gentle, kind. Or above all, be a witness. Sense of omission. Not commission. What is one sin that will take people down? In the Lord's own prayer. Not sin of commission. Sin of omission. Matthew 6. 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not. Is it sin of commission or omission? I will never forgive you as long as I live. Good. Welcome you. Red hot carpet. Is it sin of commission? Did you do anything against your sister? No. Did you forgive your sister who did something to you? No. So, you are outside the gates not because of what you did, but because of what you did not do. Did not do. Be careful. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. Are we getting the picture? See, if you really, really think people are miserable in life and are in that state because of sins of commission, meaning what others did to you, what others did to you, it is not true. If you are miserable in the house of God today because of what others did to you, you are wrong. Nobody can make you miserable. Only you yourself can make yourself miserable. Can you imagine Joseph? Woe unto me! What kind of brothers? Which brother would strip their youngest brother and throw him into the well? And not even listen to his cries of mercy, eating the lunch he brought and then talking about killing him. Which brother would sell their own youngest brother as a slave? And what kind of a father? He always told me, love you, love you, love you, love you, gave me a nice coat also, but now that he doesn't even inquire where I am. And my, and my master? I served him so faithfully. He should have known me. And one false accusation, he throws me into the prison. And that butler and that cup bearer, I'm never going to forgive them. Those two are at the top of my mind. I helped them out and they forgot me. Did he ever say any of those things? That's why he was not miserable. He was not miserable. Because he knew there was nothing anybody could do to him to make him miserable. The only way he could make himself miserable by, by not doing what he was supposed to do. So he forgave. Let go. Let go. Is it written in scripture? And the Pharaoh said, Oh, you are so special. You are like the Spirit of God speaking through you. So today you are number two. Here is the garlic. Here is the mala. Here is the robe. You are number two. And then first quote of Joseph. Here, oh here, 
Joseph, second in command of the Pharaoh alone, has passed an edict. Bring Potiphar and his wife before me. Is it written? Is it written? Nothing. Never even mentioned. Never mentioned. When his brothers come over there, he said, I was waiting for this day. He said, no. Fill their bags. Fill their bags. Put their money back also. Send them full. Bless your enemies. Don't curse them. You're putting red hood. So in the night, one of the fellow's donkeys was hungry. He opened the bag in the night and chamakre. <laughs> money. Does anybody get afraid of money? Yes. If you have sold your brother for money, you will be afraid when money comes. God knows. God knows. That is. So don't blame if you are miserable today because of what others did to you. You and I will be miserable in life only because we did not do what we were supposed to do. Can you imagine Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane? What is this Lord? What is this Lord? I was your son. I am still your son. You know what I left? Okay, 30 years I lived in that silly place called Nazareth. My gosh, it was a hole. You can't even call it a village. Serving, carrying wood, making furniture, 30. Then you made me walk 70 kilometers to get baptized. I listened to that three and a half years before all these ungrateful people. Now you are going, telling me to go and die for them? Did he say anything like that? Behold, it is written in the volume of the book. I have come to do your will. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Tell me. What do you want me to do? That's what God is talking about. We are not miserable. We are not deep in sin because of what we have done. If you are miserable and bound by sin, it's because of the things you did not do. The Christians are guilty of the sin of omission. Not a sin of commission. That's why God says, as I close, James chapter 1 and verse 27. If you want to remain, not blackened, spotted. What is that? Spotted by the world. Keep yourself busy in doing righteous things. If you want to remain spotted from the world. The ruler of the world is, he doesn't blacken you first. First you thought, you're going nice after Sunday, cleansed, nice, white, righteous robe. And he said, that's what he does. That's how he begins. If you want, God says, what you take from here, carry it with you through the week. When you come back, you will come back like calves released from the stall. That is the promise of Malachi. The son of righteousness shall rise above you with healing under his wings. And how will you come? Have you seen? Have you ever grown up in the countryside? Have you seen these young calves when they are released? They don't know how to walk. They don't know how to walk. They are bound. That's exactly what is written. My people. As righteousness rises over them with healing under his wings. They don't walk. 
They cannot walk. They are bound. They are bound. That's our God. My thoughts towards you are peaceful. My plans for you are good. Everything that is so that you will bound through life with the vitality that comes from the very spirit of God himself. Instead, how do we go? English, hang dog expression. Oh Lord, when is this message going to finish? <laughs> you know, this mannequins <laughs> some of them are automated. When I first saw these automated mannequins, I had no clue they would. I see one fellow with a glass standing there. There are automated mannequins in the church also. <laughs> Regularly, every Sunday. And pastor's conference, there are a few of them. They will come, they get in, they go to sleep. As we pray for lunch, they get up. They go eat nicely, come back, offering, they get up. How automated are we? I know there's a great future in automation industry, but God's people, (laughs) it doesn't work that way doesn't work. So God had mercy on you. He said, James, you cannot read anymore. So you have to close because the glass came off. <laughs> okay. So remember this. His thoughts towards us are always good. And our thoughts towards others and towards God should be always good. You will be at peace. At peace. Very simple. Replace one with the other. That's where it begins. Replace one action with the other. Don't like David lie in bed at eventide. Get up and go do something good. There's so many children who need help in physics, chemistry, maths, Telugu. Go help them. There's so many children on the other side who needs to be carried and to be played with. Go do it. By the time you come home, you'll be tired. You'll go to sleep. Very simple. Do what you can do. You will not fall into sin. And say, I am struggling. No, you are not struggling. You are not. You are not doing what you are supposed to do. Shall we stand? Shall we pray? Father, this afternoon we just come to you, Lord. You were with us all these days. And you will be with us till the end. Your promises are A and Amen in Christ Jesus. You never lie. You do not change. And your thoughts towards us are always thoughts of peace. Even when you scourge us, even when you discipline us, when you do all these things, it is only because you love us and you are interested in our peace. Thank you. Thank you, Father. I pray we will take what we have heard in our heart and we'll meditate on things that are noble, things that are good, and put our body into action to do things that are noble, do things that are virtuous, and be found always at your appointed places. Not let others go fight our wars, but we tarry at places where we shouldn't be doing things we end up doing that should never have happened. Help us, O Lord, not to fall prey for the deception of the sin of omission. 
And I pray, Father, nobody here will have a heart of rebellion and of stubbornness. That we are set free in Christ Jesus. Knowing that we are one body. Chained with both those who are free and also with those who are prisoners. Help us not to be like Gad. Satisfied with what they have on the other side of Jordan and wanting to let their brothers go ahead and fight those battles. If we do that, as you told them, your sin will find you out. For thousands of years later, Lord, when you came to that same place, the Gadarenes, there was a demon-possessed man, Lord, and the people of Gadarenes wanted you to go away. Their compromise did not begin that day. It was started by their forefathers. But when you, the light of the world, walked on earth, their sin was found out. On that day, Lord, I pray, we'll have no sin to be found out because we had peace with God. And the peace of God guarded our heart every day. Speak your peace into every heart. Those who do not have peace, I speak your conviction, which will lead to your peace. As they go into another week, I pray you would protect them from the evil one. As you taught us, taught us, taught us to us to pray for myself and each one of us, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the power of the evil one. For Father, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Now we as God's people, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name, O God. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.